the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. Today, we are going to be talking to TampNet, and we are going to be learning about offshore communications, telecommunications, and high-speed, high-bandwidth LTE, and just general connectivity offshore. So we have Trigva and we have Arndt from TampNet on the line with us. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good morning. And thanks for, for having us on. Good to meet Absolutely. you guys. Yeah. And of course, I checked first names before we started recording, but I didn't do very good about checking last names. <laughs> so Trigva, so I don't butcher your last name. I, it's Hagavik. Uh, Hagavik. All right. Yep. Awesome. Make sure I get that. And Arndt? That is Skavdal. Okay, now Arndt, Skavdal. Okay, and Arndt, you're in Norway now while we're talking, right? Yes, I'm just transitioned back to Europe from living in the U.S. for the last three years. Okay, how was your time in America? It was nice. It was much warmer in Texas than sort of in the frosty Nordics. So, but it's (laughs) also, also good to be back. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, so you had to come to America, you left all your family, or did, did you have family that came with you at all? Or I'm relatively young, or sort of getting older, so I, <laughs> it was me and myself traveling over to the U.S., so made it much easier yeah, to transition. Absolutely. What stood out to you about coming to America from Norway? What was your, like, your biggest cultural shock? Well, we are pretty much the same on many things, but uh, we are also different when it comes to some sort of more family values type of approach to it but there's a lot of commonalities and for me personally what struck out the most was how flat texas is and the sort of <laughs> the sunrise and the sunset over in norway we have the fjords and the mountains yeah you get really a nice experience watching the sun setting and rising yeah no that makes a lot of sense texas is pretty flat <laughs> yeah san antonio area with the hill country is always nice but that's Still, there's no mountains, that's for sure. So, all right, awesome. And Trigva, you're here in Houston right now, I know, but out here from Norway as well, correct? That's correct. Um, I've been here almost five years. I guess I was the first expat after we acquired a couple of companies. Came over here a bit different than that because I we came a family of five, uh, three kids from 12 to 15, 16 at the time. So, challenging age but it's gone really well and we've enjoyed it so made a lot of good friends and had a lot of interesting work absolutely that's good i'm glad you enjoyed your time did you have any major culture shocks coming over here initially no i mean there is quite a bit of difference in in work culture i guess also sales culture you know we are i guess you know working on the sales side where i think the customer base here are used to salespeople inflating their message probably more so than than what where we are from where really you what you say is is sort of you know is what you're going to do and here it's almost a surprise to some customers because they expect you almost to 
pile it on. And when you come back a year later or two years later and you explain that this is what we've done now, this is what we've achieved, where you almost see a bit of surprise that you you actually delivered on your promise to a certain extent. So I think that's probably like a different, more aggressive sales culture, maybe. Yeah, but that makes sense. I mean, I think in just my own, you know, my day to day job, the sales environment, I, I think I've personally focused to compete against that, right? Like just try not to fall into that, um, yeah. you know, oversell, under deliver and, and really come back with, you know, undersell, over deliver. And I think that best builds the best relationships long term for sure. Definitely. And we've we've seen that with some of the majors that we're working with now and that we're not here just on a whim, that we're taking coming to the Gulf of Mexico, taking our sort of our North Sea story across to the Gulf of Mexico and we're sticking around and the companies are seeing that, like the, the big majors in you know, that we also know is from the North Sea working with them here and they're seeing that we are we are serious about the long term perspective and the sustainability of a network build out. Wonderful. Well, it's great to kind of get a little bit of a bit of understanding. I'm glad you guys had a good time here in the USA and enjoyed your time. How about just maybe Trigva, if we start with you, a little bit about your background and kind of how you got you know, on with TampNet and to where you are today. Yeah, so so my background actually from is actually economics which is maybe a bit strange in this technology business. But I've sort of been in technology companies since 97, Alcatel, Schlumberger, and so forth, but have been most of the time very focused on offshore telecommunications directed at oil and gas. And it was after, yeah, it was in 2009 when I was getting ready for a move and I saw TAPNET, I kind of knew TAPNET through other, you know, through our business. And I saw it was a very, very small company, but I thought it had a lot of potential. And as it happens, this guy who's still our CEO was a person I knew through work. So I got in touch with Per Helga Svensson, our CEO, and just look, I think there's a lot of you know, you have an interesting story. I think uh, there's a lot of potential and would it be timely? Do you think there might be room for somebody like me to help grow the business from the commercial side? Yeah. And that's where I started off with TapNet and that's, yeah, well over 11 years ago now. Awesome. And you said you were like employee number five, right? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. I know for my organization, we, we all have like employee ID numbers and I'm always very proud of the fact that I like I'm not number five, but my employee ID number is is four digits, and new hires today are now six digits. So I'm like I'm always like I see that I'm like okay cool yeah it's it's just one of those little things. It kind of reminds you how long you've been there, and you know it's pretty cool. Yeah, aren't how about you? How about a little bit about your background? So I'm employee number six. If we were to sort of continue on that, no. <laughs> joined Tampnet the year after Trygve, nine months. Read about the company in sort of the Norwegian version of Financial Times and sort of, this is exciting because I have a sort of a technology telecoms background and I was very curious about sort of using that technology in sort of a more niche type of settings. 
And I never discovered Tampnet in my first jobs and while I was studying, but came over them and yeah, position was open and I applied and I got the job and yeah, been with Tampnet now for, for 10 years plus and since that day. Oh, well, that's um, great. So yeah, I mean, 10 years with the company is fantastic. So it's not, certainly something to be proud of there. It doesn't feel like 10 years. It feels more like four, five, six years. So it's time's been flying by, but we have a lot of fun as well with what we do. And especially also when we sort of took the step of trying to replicate uh, the European North Sea model over to over to the Gulf of Mexico back in 2015. So it's been exciting. Yeah. Well, and let's let's just jump into, you know, kind of start with that, you know, that progression right there. So starting in the North Sea, you know, and I'll just intro, I guess, as a high level, you know, TampNet installed, you know, ocean floor cable networks, and then to add connectivity to the offshore market when, I guess, previously we were limited to just radio or satellite connections, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's been around for quite a few years now, and there's a big spread for the different offshore basins, if you like, where still satellite is the predominant technology that has to be used. But I think in the North Sea, we had some foresighted oil companies and some technological people working in those companies that started really looking into the option of using subsea fiber to connect these key assets, especially as the technology and the applications was evolving. So that the fiber also actually has to be trenched in the North Sea because while there is, you know, while it's quite shallow, it's, there's also a lot of fishing going on, trawling going on. So mm. the cable is actually buried into the seabed. But yeah, I mean, that's where it started off on Norwegian side, really, and then has expanded into the UK side, now also Denmark and Dutch sector for, and it's partly German sector for us. So there is now, yeah, a big, yeah, a fiber network consisting of about 3,200 kilometers, uh, which is about 2,500 miles of subsea fiber cable. And there's a big cloud of LTE 4G coverage out there based on this. The size of the UK really actually probably a bit bigger in the middle of the North Sea. Yeah, I'm looking at the map right now on your on your website actually, and it's it is a very large cover you know coverage area. And so, did Tamp was Tamp not the, the company that actually installed the cables to begin with, or you guys just managed so, them? Yeah. So, before? so what so what happened was that you had some oil companies that had their own sort of piecemeal initiatives. It was mainly Statoil, which is now Equinor, which is the major sort of Norwegian state-owned oil company, part now listed company, but partly state-owned. And then the result of actually bankruptcy in 2001, when the IT bubble burst, then Statoil at the time bought some subsea fiber out of the bankruptcy estate. And that was really the start of TampNet. And we were divested from Statoil in 2010. And since then, we've acquired these sort, you know, these different pieces or these different networks, and really just unified that into one common fiber infrastructure, which really is to the advantage for us, but also to the advantage of the industry because you get a bigger network, you get a more redundant network, 
And we also now have a network. We're using this subsea fiber network also to pure transport or transit of big amounts of data between the countries surrounding the North Sea as a carrier network, if you like. So that's how it's happened. We've acquired a company from Telia, and we've also acquired a similar company from BP, the large UK oil and gas operator in 2014. So that's how it's kind of, and it's it's also the network is continually evolving. So over the last six years, we've had, we've actually done 10 turnkey fiber projects, which is effectively new field developments, offshore field developments. They may be, you know, 200 miles offshore, but instead of then have considering laying their own fiber all the way to the beach, we may be only 20, 30 miles away with our infrastructure and we get into the discussion with the customers in the early project phase and we then, you know, can do this very cost effectively and also take away that risk for the project and then continue on delivering services. We equip the platform with all the telecom equipment needed. We equip it, yeah, we deliver high-speed services across the fiber and typically also then this is then used as an additional site or a antenna tower almost, if you will, for a, an LTE base station that then gives LTE coverage for the surrounding marine area as well as on the platform itself. Yeah, no, that makes that's a cool story and progression through there. Is Was that this, a similar progression for the Gulf of Mexico? I mean, was it a fragmented producer-initiated network there that you guys took over or did you develop that from kind of greenfield up do you want to take that one out yeah so we started off sort of looking at the fact that we wanted to build a 4g lte network because we had learned that in in the north sea in 2012 13 and 14 so we started the angle from a sort of a spectrum point of view and we we came over a company called broadpoint which was a legacy sort of gsm network out in the Gulf, predominantly backhauled over satellite. And we also had BP, which was owning a fiber cable going out on deep water. And we saw an opportunity room there to try to yeah, combine this into becoming sort of the, the Gulf of Mexico version of the North Sea. So since 2015, we, we managed to acquire Broadpoint, took over the company in 2016. We've been building the sort of the point-to-point microwave hops between various assets on the shelf and on the midwater, and now also going out to deep water as we also managed to secure a deal with, with BP, which gave us access to the fiber. So that's a very important element in the Gulf, especially when you have the weather fronts, you have potential cold winds coming from the north meeting the hot air out in the in the Gulf of Mexico. It's very demanding and challenging environment to try to transport radio energy through, especially on the beach crossings alongside the coast. So in order for Tampa to secure the needed quality to the users out there, it is a very important building block for us that we are building from the deep water fiber going back to the shelf instead of going from the beach out to the shelf. So, yeah. So, no, that's a great kind of explanation of the 
the networks and how they've developed and how does it from like a customer standpoint does a customer have to choose you know one or the other or or they kind of have to come up with a mix of all communication types depending on exactly where they're operating right yeah what i can sort of explain to that is you know if you think really where the main difference is to in the gulf of mexico is that you have for instance these large drill ships with a lot of people on there's the people who actually own and operate those drill ships the drilling companies and then you have the client which is the old companies such as bp shell chevron etc and they they're demanding in terms of technology and therefore also connectivity now whereas they used to be dependent on satellites and will still depend on satellite when they are working in areas that have no alternative they do want to leverage the LTE connectivity when they can. So when they sail into, say, the deep water region of the Gulf of Mexico, if they're operating, you know, between one to 30 miles away from an asset, from a production platform that has one of our base stations on it, they can almost, you know, get the experience of fiber connectivity by having that wireless connection to that that base station so you know they may go from two to four megabit connection on satellite with 600 to 650 milliseconds round trip delay to 30 megabit connection with 40 to 50 milliseconds round trip delay so we reduce round trip delay by 90 percent effectively or more and of course bandwidth is typically five to ten times higher so that makes a huge difference, especially for more and more applications like we're seeing now, which are latency sensitive, as we say, such as certainly RP systems, but also voice and video. And a lot of this now is, you know, for instance, live video inspections, which can now be done in high definition. And of course, a lot of data that bulks of data that needs to be transported from the drill ship to some kind of database onshore. So the challenge with those guys before is obviously the mobility aspect of it. These are basically big ships. They rotate, they move around, they are exposed to pitch and roll, motion of the ocean, if you will. They now, so we look after that mobility aspect so they can get the feel as almost they, they exploit the fiber you know, infrastructure that's out there. So that's, that's the sort of the corporate end of it. And then we also have roaming agreements in place with all the big players so that you as a subscriber, as a crew member, whether you're on that drill ship or whether you're on a production asset, you can have your personal device with you. You can you know, run FaceTime or messenger video calls with your kids while you're offshore. And basically the wealth increases the welfare of being offshore for long periods of time. And with that as well, whereas that used to be maybe quite expensive, that is now either included in your plan with AT&T, for instance, or you know there is a very small uplifting cost. So that's come a long way. And then we're also seeing that from a corporate level, companies are using the coverage for you know they call, can call it the mobile worker, they may call it connected field worker where they can have industry ruggedized devices that are you know 
intrinsically safe, so you can use them anywhere without any uh, risk of igniting uh, gas or any other hydro- hydrocarbons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, helmet cameras and those sort of things. So the, the, the idea of logging data, uploading data, and not using clipboards and paper and pen, and also running these remote inspections where by having a camera mounted on your helmet, there can be a supervisor, an expert in some kind of data center, whether it's in Houston or whether it's in New Orleans or Oklahoma for that matter, which can sit and see this in real time with you know no experienced latency on the on the video quality so and, that's really uh, yeah and one element to add to that is at the customer's discretion we can sort of keep that uh, transport of the data private and sort of not touching internet or we can sort of give them that service as a internet access so that's an important element for us that we can we call this APNs, Access Private Networks, which is a good opportunity for the customer to sort of select and so that they can also sort of segregate the traffic into different virtually IP clouds, basically, you can say. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a huge benefit. I mean, I'm hearing, you know, the increased bandwidth and the latent, you know, the decreased latency. I mean, and I mean, this is going to be episode 27, I think, so far for this podcast. And, you know, I think I know just offhand, like three or four other shows have been just focused on similar kind of concepts, whether it's a satellite connectivity or, you know, a data, you know, not compression, but just data management, you know, platform. I mean, data is taking over our lives. So, I would assume that that means demand has to be strong for you guys. I mean, are you getting a lot of inquiries to expand your networks and maybe, you know, add cable into into other areas? Yeah, we probably more than ever, actually. Of course, we, we are what's happened now with COVID-19 and, you know, the significant drop in commodity prices is slowing down those type of discussions. But sure. we've never had more interest in what we have done in the North Sea and the Gulf of Mexico from other regions. So we're already actually, we have already kicked off a project for building LTE offshore coverage offshore Canada on the East Coast, offshore Newfoundland. Um, We are looking at other regions as well, where we see that, you know, the infrastructure is missing or where we see that we really have, you know, there is a real scope for for our special you know specialty knowledge so there are areas such as you know brazil for instance is big and very promising region for offshore oil and gas where there is a need for this type of network and services and really it's every basin around the world that where we see that there is a need and we see that there is enough platforms and enough activity we will keep an eye on and look to expand into. And I mean, just as data consumption and data creation really continues to grow, do you guys, how far far forward do you have to look with, with like, say, cable size or bandwidth? I mean, are you, excuse me, are you, you know, creeping up on the upper end of what some of these cables can handle as these markets grow or... 
you know, or, or are these pretty future proofed? I think the sort of the bandwidth you can squeeze out of one fiber pair, and you typically have several fiber pairs in a cable, is more than sufficient uh, sort of for an offshore industry. But we need to sort of have longevity in what we do because there is not that many users out there. You don't have tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of sort of subscribers to the infrastructure. You will have tens or, if you're lucky, a couple of hundred. Mm. So that's the element for us that we we need to know that when we are when when we are building infrastructure, we are building for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And but it's also one of the great things for the industry and for the clients out there that Tampnet is taking the full lifecycle management responsibility of the infrastructure. And going back to some of the benefits Trigger was talking about initially here. And that we we will monitor and operate the infrastructure on a daily basis and do what it's needed to, in order to continue to be able to to service the clients in the future. And you know, as the you know Internet of Things, I mean, you've touched on many of the stuff of many of the different you know use cases with you know whether it's the video inspections or whether it's you know video chat with your wife and kids you know while you're offshore. Are you seeing anything starting to come up yet? I mean, because with all that, the data sets are just getting bigger and bigger, you know, and there's consuming so much. But it sounds like that's that's a far off problem. Are you seeing anything else show up that that might hinder that for you guys? You know, that that customers are asking for, you know, extremely large data sets to be transferred. So we are seeing and we are moving into the IoT space, if you like, already. So when, you know, if, when we build the base station offshore, we need a production platform, if you like, to build it on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that production platform needs to have, you know, needs to be connected to a high-speed fiber network effectively so that, you know, the signals can be transported all the way back to, to shore. So when we build those base stations, which are the same types of base stations you'll see around tall buildings or masts, you know, in around Houston or any other city, then we build, you know, three to, you know, of 120 degrees each to give maximum marine coverage. But we also build a fourth sector, as we call that, kind of looks into the platform itself so that we get coverage virtually 95% of anywhere inside and outside on those platforms. And that's precisely to do those kind of, you know, using devices, handheld devices, helmet cameras, and that kind of thing. And we were already rolling out solutions for that with all the big internationals. And then, because you also have the increasingly all that, those sensors and pieces of equipment that are sitting, whether that's pumps or valves or whatever, that needs some kind of monitoring. Whereas that required, you know, extensive and difficult, you know, complicated cabling that is now can just be connected wirelessly. And in that sort of industrial IoT, it seems to be that LTE, 4G and 5G is the sort of common denominator in terms of connectivity. So we're, we're doing that and we're an IoT enabling or if you will, yeah, a narrow bound IoT enabling our network. And the data volumes are so far at least not a big concern. And for those type of applications, 
typically the actual amount of data or the volume of data is actually quite small. It's more the sort of the regularity of it that's important and, you know, and, enabling um, a simple connection. And number of devices which can connect to the network. So yeah. instead of a few tens or a few hundreds, you easily in the future will get up to the thousands and tens of thousands more assets. And we have also seen that one thing which is important to note is in a few sort of experiences we have had over the last couple of years, we have seen that some IT departments or digitalization work groups have taken for granted that you actually have a decent communication available because that's what you know that you have in onshore in your house or in the office or outside in a production plant onshore but you don't necessarily have that offshore so and we have seen that it's an element which can easily be forgotten sort of how do you solve the connection of devices in order to sort of secure the data which you are interested in so but we're seeing that it's that sort of full ecosystem understanding is growing and tampnet is taking an active role in sort of filling that gap making the coverage available awesome yeah i just we went to this whole covid thing and netflix started threatening to throttle back my 4k video and i just it wasn't going to have that you know so i didn't know <laughs> i didn't want to have you know interested to see you know what that data limitation looks like that's something i never thought yeah, I never would think to worry about that. So just thinking through what your customers are going through, that their data and their communications are far more important than my Netflix consumption. But it's still something to think about on, you know, these assets are built and then technology today is growing so fast that your demands can so quickly change and so quickly, you know, kind of just erupt when, you know, far above prediction. So Sounds like you guys are far ahead of that, which is which is awesome, and that's what you know any you know standout professional would be doing. So, kudos to you guys. What about technology that might displace some of the the work that you guys do? I mean, are you seeing satellite technologies or other technologies that might be competing with the you know the system that you guys are are running today? Well, if you take we, this time to go and chime in. Yeah, so there's quite a lot of press these days about you know the what they call the low orbit satellite solutions. So that's you know there's you know a lot of big names involved in investing in this, yeah. um, and it's basically to you know create these constellations of satellites flying around the Earth, much closer to Earth than you know your conventional satellites, and that of course reduces latency. And also, you know, that increases bandwidth. And we're keeping an eye on that, obviously. And we, you know, to think that that's not going to impact our business in any way is probably a bit naive. At the same time, we think that for critical operations where availability is really, really important, you know, we think that our network and our products are still going to be superior. And a lot of that is based to based on you know the weather aspect and the you know the impact different weather situations will have on satellite, even those closer to Earth. And also, there's a lot of still a lot of in you know insecurity or what should we say yeah risk around Skepticism. when yeah 
yeah, when when will this be available? Investments, money, investment dollars. You may have seen that some of these players have filed for Chapter 11. So there's a lot of capital to be had, and there's a lot of, you know, yeah, still uncertainty around timing. But certainly, we definitely think that those types of technologies have a lot, you know, have a big place in areas where there is either no fiber and LTE infrastructure or, you know, very poor fiber and LTE infrastructure, particularly, you know, Africa, South America, where, you know, we know that once this becomes available to the general population, you know, the level of education and is going to increase the probably the gdp is going to increase so so we really think that we at the same time we think that where there is robust and established infrastructure we still think that's going to be the preference of the oil and gas offshore oil and gas community and i think it's if you are sort of the the bps and the shells and the chevrons and you are developing a field for the future it's going to be out there for the next 20 30 40 years and if you are to sort of take out the full advantage of remote operating the asset, keeping the sort of the POB at a sort of a bare minimum, if you have fiber in two directions back to the beach, you will be having close to 100% uptime of the asset for the next 20, 30, 40 years. And if you were to choose a satellite solution for that, you won't have that same guaranteed uptime on the connection out to the asset and back to the beach again. And you won't get the same level of bandwidth either. So uh, that's an advantage in the sort of the model which we are yeah, promoting to the industry. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of good points. I mean, it makes sense to me, right? I'm not living in that space directly, but a lot of good points makes a lot of sense. I mean, I mean, it might be a, a naive parallel, but I mean, I don't even like the... I don't even like the connectivity of my laptop in my house sometimes. If I can hardwire and run Ethernet cable and just cable my laptop in at my desk, it's better, right? It's better. So I, I would assume on a much larger scale, if you're cabled in and, and hard connected for these you know, critical assets, you're way ahead of the game. So we've touched on a ton of stuff i mean it's it's a super interesting network and super interesting business that you guys are in i had no idea before talking to you guys that this this network was out there and that you guys had all this connectivity and it's just you know extremely interesting to me is there anything that we haven't touched on that that you guys really want to get out to the audience or to the listeners today yeah i mean it really is well, i should say we you know we reach all the corporate clients directly ourselves you know and they we we meet them well these days mostly on video obviously but you know i'd really it's anybody you know crew member or offshore worker that's out there and who may think that off you know using your device offshore is maybe difficult or very expensive that is not the case anymore you know with for instance at&t your plan is your plan and you know, if you have 15 gigabytes per month in your plan, that's what you have. And you can go offshore Gulf of Mexico and use it with no additional charges as long as you stay within that, you know, 15 gigabytes. And it's all you have to do is to make sure that you turn on roaming when you go offshore. And we are 
working with the other big players to get to the same place. So I think that's, you know, that also goes, of course, for people, whether it's in commercial fishing or leisure fishing, anybody that's on a cruise ship going out of Galveston or New Orleans, the network is there and use it and it won't cost you much extra. Awesome. No, that is good information. Trigva and Arndt, I really appreciate the time. Really appreciate you guys sitting down and talking to me today. And just thank you again. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Thanks for having absolutely. us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To all the listeners, thank you for listening in. If wherever you receive this content, if you enjoyed it, if you could go out, leave us a comment, leave us a like. All that stuff helps us reach a larger audience. And don't be shy with your feedback. We can't improve the show or make the changes that you're looking for if we don't hear about it. So help us out. Help get the content out there. Help us improve. And we will catch you on the next one. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.